Well, good morning. You guys excited to be here? How many of you were excited it rained this morning? Wasn't that great? And, and, and you were excited enough that you actually got out of bed while it was raining. That's impressive. Glad that you chose to worship with us today. Uh, my name is John, and uh, I am blessed uh, to serve as the pastor here. Real quickly, I want to make sure that everyone get one of these. Not necessarily a yellow one, but let me see if you got one up here. All right, just raise it up. All right, now, put your hand down. Anybody need one? You did not get one, just raise your hand. We got several people around that are going to scattered out. They're going to give you one. So it looks like quite a few of you, all right? So just keep your hand up until they, they bring you one, all right? And uh, so we are um, going to get to that in a moment. So I would encourage you, uh, as you get one, to uh, spend some time. Uh, or you could use this this morning as a way to take notes, okay? So, but I'm going to ask you to save one side of it, all right? So if you're going to take notes, like at least leave one side blank, and you'll understand why when we are done this morning. How many of you like to fish? Okay. Oh, I messed everybody up. You raised your hand. Now they're like, oh, everybody needs a fish. So, sorry. Put your hand down unless you need a fish. That was a bad mistake, right? You guys are like, everybody needs one now. Okay. So, uh, as they are passing those out, I'll do what is normal never really been accused of being normal, but I have routine. Maybe that would be a better word to say it. Routine. All right. God is good. And all the time. Again, thank you for being here today. And uh, I'm going to invite you to turn to Jonah. Okay, Jonah, we're going to talk about a big fish story, all right? Hence the reason you're getting a fish this morning. If you, if you don't have one, they're still walking around. Just keep your hand up. Looks like they're getting most everybody. Um, but we are in week three of this series entitled Risk, Dare to Embrace the Heart of God. Dare to Embrace the Heart of God. And so maybe you haven't been able to be here the last two weeks. I would encourage you, you can go back online and watch the two messages that uh, we have already been in this series, Risk. But let me give you a quick overview in case you weren't here. Uh, And the first week we really talked about, we only went to three verses the first week. And what we talked about was this, kind of like really three attributes, three statements of God. Number one is that God is, as you can see on the screen, God is sovereign. Simply put, that means God is in control, that God is in control. And I'm glad that we, every Sunday morning, we say God is good and all the time because if God was not good and he was sovereign, it would not be good for us. I'm thankful that he's sovereign, and again, this good really leads into the next two statements, that God is merciful and God is missional. He's sovereign, and he's merciful, and he's missional. Week two, last week, we we talked about storms, and it would have been great if it would have been this week while it was raining, but, you know, it didn't happen that way. We're talking about storms, and really most of the chapter one in Jonah chapter one is about the storm they were in. They were in the storm because of Jonah. And what we said about last week was really three things. Storms are controlled by God. Again, this is just doubling down on what we said week number one, that God is sovereign. We also see that storms reveal our heart. And, and if you've been in church very long, really if you just live life very long, you realize that you've probably just come out of a storm. You might be in the middle of a storm. Or 
you're headed into a storm. And the third thing we looked at last week was storms offer opportunity to know and embrace God. To know and embrace God. So what we see really in, in verse number 9 of chapter 2, we're going to get to it in a minute, but what we really see is the, the main focus of the book. The book is not about just a storm. It's not about the boat. It's not about the fish. It's not about Jonah. The, the, the point of the book is to state that God saves, that God is a God of salvation. When we think about this fact, we see this all throughout uh, Scripture, really, the Old Testament and in the New Testament. When Adam and Eve first sinned in the garden, God came to them and saved them from immediate death. He saved Noah and the ark from the flood. He saved Isaac from the knife of his father Abraham. He saved Moses and the entire generation from the Egyptians. You read of the story of Elijah that was saved from the queen Jezebel. Daniel from the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. He saved the disciples from religion and gave them a relationship. God still, well let me ask you, do you agree with this statement? God still saves people today. I'll ask you again. I know you can respond better. God still saves people today. And we agree with that. We believe that. But the second aspect of this that we're going to look at this morning is not only does God save, but God sends. We see this also throughout the entire scriptures. When, when God sent Noah into the ark, Abraham to the land that was going to be better, Joshua to Jericho, Moses across the sea, he sent his prophets all throughout the Old Testament to tell people of warning and coming judgment. He sent his son to the earth to give us salvation, and he sent his apostles and the disciples to the nations. You see, God saves and he sends. That's what we're going to talk about today. Second Peter 3.9, we often quote this in our Sunday morning service, and it simply says, the Lord is not slack or lazy concerning his promise. And then it says, as some count slackness or laziness. But God is long-suffering toward us. He's not willing that any, it's a big word there. God's not willing that any, he's, his goal, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, to salvation. God saves and God sent his son to let us have salvation as a gift. I think of two ways we could say this. So again, we're just kind of rewording this. God saves and God sends. Another way to say that was God converts and God commissions. And the reality is for me, when, when I gave my life to Christ, when you gave your life to Christ, when he saved you, he immediately enlisted you to send you. And that's what we're going to talk about with the life of Jonah this morning. Now, we looked at this in week one, but Jonah knew this. I've heard uh, about Jonah, you know, my entire life from when, when you know, I was a little kid. You know, it was one of those kids' stories that's easy to get kids interested about a big fish or a well who swallowed a man who lived in there. And remember, there's always the, uh, the flannel graph with Jonah and like candlelight. And I'm like, no, that's probably not really what happened. But it's just a story that we're, we're all familiar with. 
And oftentimes I hear people, when they talk about Jonah, begin to ask questions like, why would Jonah have not gone? I'm not sure why Jonah didn't go. Maybe, maybe he was just scared. Maybe he had family. Maybe it was just not, you know, it was football season. It wasn't a good time to get away. Who knows why Jonah didn't go? But the reality is, in chapter 4, Jonah tells us exactly why he didn't go, why he didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. You remember? Sitting on the side of the hill pouting, hoping that God was going to destroy Nineveh. And, and listen to the description that Jonah, who was known as the faithful prophet, again became the prodigal prophet, now the pouting prophet. What, what does he say about God? And it reveals to us not only the heart of God, but it also reveals to us the heart of Jonah. Again, this is after God delivers Nineveh. He's on the side of the hill looking at the city, wishing that God would just pour down judgment. Jonah prayed to the Lord, and he said, and I think Jonah was, again, kind of in this pouting, you know, like, poor me, I hate this. And it seems like, like even to read this in like this attitude of, you know, Eeyore, it's kind of hard because even the words that he says, like, God, this is what I said was in a, when, when I was in my country. This is what I said before I fled to Tarshish. You know, God, I knew that you were, well, you were gracious. You're long-suffering. You're merciful. This sounds kind of depressing, but should it be depressing? God, you are merciful. You're long-suffering. You're slow to anger. You're abundant in loving kindness. You are one who relents from doing harm. In other words, what he's really saying is what we read in 1 John 1, 9, that if, if we will confess, God will forgive. Isn't that, a good, isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? But Jonah's pouting like, yeah, I told you, God. This is why I didn't want to go, because you're so loving and so gracious and so kind. And it reveals the heart of God that he is merciful and he is missional, but it also reveals the heart of Jonah that Jonah didn't think those people deserved God's mercy. We saw that last week, didn't we? Jonah was on the boat and he went in the opposite direction God told him to go. And Jonah was asleep in the boat while the storm was raging. And, and Jonah could have easily decided to repent on the boat, the storm would have stopped. I believe with all my heart that if Jonah had repented on the, on the boat, the storm would have stopped. But instead, Jonah let them cast lots, remember? Well, let's see who's, whose fault it is. We're not really sure. Jonah knew whose fault it was. And then they said, well, how can, if it's you, Jonah, if you're at fault, then how can we stop the storm? And remember what Jonah said? Throw me over the boat. Here, here's what's interesting, that these pagan sailors cared more for Jonah than Jonah cared for them. Because it says they didn't want to throw him over, so they began to row harder and try to get away from the storm. Finally, it was like, it's not possible. So Jonah could have repented. Jonah could have jumped over the ship himself, right? But Jonah was so rebellious, stubborn, that he was fine with the sailors dying just so he wouldn't have to go to Nineveh. What a, what a sad testimony of the prophet of God. But we see what, where we left off was they threw Jonah over into the sea. And what immediately happened when they threw Jonah over? 
You could say it. What happened? The storm stopped. And how did the sailors respond? It's verse 16, chapter 1. They worshiped. They realized, wow, Jonah's God is powerful. He is the Lord, all caps. He is Yahweh, the existing one. He is Jehovah God. And they fell to their knees and worshiped. And we said, I love this quote from J. Josh Smith that says this, that the storm that threatened their life was actually the storm that brought them life. And maybe this morning you are in a storm. And maybe God is wanting to use that storm this morning to bring you life. Well, that's where we left off last week. And then we didn't even read the last verse of chapter 1. So let's read it now. Verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish. Again, the Lord prepared. This points to what everything in the book of Jonah points to. That God is sovereign. That God is in control. Even what the disciples would later say, even the seas and the winds obey. So he prepared a fish to swallow Jonah. Because here's the reality, that when they threw Jonah over, the storm stopped and the sailors were safe. Was Jonah now safe? No. He's, he's going to die at sea, storm or no storm. But God prepared a fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah was in the bell belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now skip to the end of this section, verse number 10. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah on dry land. Now remember a couple weeks ago, I was like not going to say the word vomit and you guys, some of you, you know, like, yeah, you shouldn't say it in church. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So there you have it. That's my rebellious spirit this morning. That's pretty much the story, right? In the belly for, for three days and three nights. And then God, again, speaking to the sovereignty of God, God spoke to the fish. All right, it's time to do what? Say it. Yes. I was so hoping you guys would do it. My mom is giving me dirty looks. No. I'm not even looking at her. I learned that a long time ago. You know, I remember as a kid uh, sitting on like on the front row and back in our church in Kansas, like there was this big, you know, kind of just like this, but the organ set way high up there. And me and my brother, we would be doing whatever, you know, eight-year-old boys do in church when they're bored to tears. Uh, no, we were, we were sanctified. We weren't bored, but we were doing whatever. And I'll be honest, I never had a second thought about Oh, I probably shouldn't be doing this. And for some reason, out, out of nowhere, I would look at my mom playing the organ. Why would I do that? I, this is not in my notes. Let's go. <laughs> a look can say a lot, right? I was all of a sudden guilty. Vomiting him out. But let's go back and look at Verses 1 through 9. Let's read what, what takes place. So it says he was in the belly for three days. And in verse 10, he vomits him out. Let's look. Verse number 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly and said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, which really is a representation of death. I cried and you heard my voice. Those are some powerful words. I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried and you heard my voice. 
You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet, you have brought me up. You have brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. My prayer went up to you, into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have owed. Salvation is of the Lord. That's really the key statement of the whole book. Salvation is of the Lord. And I think about some kind of interesting words. Verse 17, he says, God prepared a fish. He was in the fish for three days and three nights. And verse 1 of chapter 2 says, what's the very first word there? Of chapter one, uh, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 1. What's the first word? Then. then. So I'm not 100% sure, and scholars would agree or disagree with this, but I'm not 100% sure, but it, it seems like possibly that Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days and three nights, and chapter 2, verse 1, the first word says what? Then he cried out. Do you think he's stubborn? If he stayed three days in the belly of the fish and he finally cries out to God, is he stubborn? Yes or no? Are you stubborn? Yes or no? All right. Got some honest people out there. He says, I cried out, verse uh, 2, to the Lord because of my affliction. And what does it say? And he answered me. Now, I'll be transparent with you today. If it's me and I'm God, and he's waited three days, He's already been running. He's already been rebellious. He's already been stubborn. He already hasn't repented. I, I don't know if I'd listen. Here's the good news today. It's never too late to cry out to God. If you're breathing, if you're alive, maybe you've been running from God. It's never too late. Isn't that great? It's never too late. He cried out to God, and it says God heard him. Interesting, in, in verse number 3 and 4, verse 3 says, you've cast me into the deep. Verse 4, he says, I am cast from your sight. You remember in chapter 1, multiple times, what Jonah said, why he was running? I want to get away from the presence of the Lord. Twice it says that. Then it says the sailor said, we knew he was trying to run away from the presence of the Lord because he told us that he was running from the presence of the Lord. Like, Jonah gets what he wants, doesn't he? He wanted to be away from the presence of the Lord and he finds himself away from the presence of the Lord. 
And, and you know what I've found in my life and personally and experienced it through other people is sometimes what we want is not really what we want. Right? The, the great, I think it was the great theologian, Garth Brooks, <laughs> that said, sometimes I thank God for what? Unanswered prayers. How many of you had no idea that that was the statement? I'm only saying that because I knew Carlos had no clue. <laughs> I read his lips, what'd they say? <clears throat> Carlos, you sit close. I'd just like to pick on you. I'm sorry. All right. You're a Jets fan too. That's another reason. But <laughs> it's not too late to repent. You can always turn back. It's never too late. So if you're taking notes, number one, Jonah is hopeless. He's in the belly of the fish. The description in verses 1 through 9 are a description of death. But he cries out to God in his affliction. And number two, God rescues. Number one, Jonah was helpless. Number two, God rescues. Again, Jonah prays, in my mind, if I were God, this is why, it's, you know, everyone should be glad I'm not God. I'm saying it's too late. You had five different chances, whatever, we can count them up. Too late. You're in the fish, eh, die in the fish. I'll get somebody else. Because the truth is, did God, did God need Jonah to be the one to tell the people of Nineveh, Nineveh to repent? I mean, God could have sent the fish to do it if he wanted to, right? I mean, it was, the city is known as the fish city. He could have sent a fish. They would have listened to a fish. But I love the fact that even when Jonah messed up, God could still use him. Because probably the truth is, there's more of us in, in the room that have messed up then are clean, right? You ever messed up before? Both hands, many? Yeah, you better say that. Grandma's right there. She'll get on you. <laughs> many times. I like the honesty. But he, he lands on this statement. Salvation is of the Lord. You, you see, no, no, no matter how far we get away from God, Here's, here's what the story tells us. Jonah was hopeless. Could Jonah save himself? Could Jonah get out of the fish? Could Jonah have swam back to Nineveh? Could Jonah have done anything on his own in his situation? No, the description is he's dead. He, and some scholars would say that he literally did die and came back to life. It really doesn't matter whether, which, which side of that coin you land on. The reality is there's nothing that he could do of himself. But when he cried out to God... And he said, salvation is of the Lord. God rescued him. Paul wrote about this in Ephesians. Because the reality is every one of us are just like Jonah. The, the parallels here are amazing. Because the Bible tells us that every one of us are born into sin. We are, we are spiritually dead. We have no hope. We have no way of being rescued. We cannot get out of the death ourselves. There's nothing we can do to get to God. The same situation that Jonah's in. He's in a hopeless, desperate situation. 
no way to God. And listen to what Paul said in Ephesians. Turn to Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start reading in verse number 1. All right, Ephesians 2, 1. I'm hearing pages being turned still, so I'm kind of pausing for a minute to read. And you, so again, who's you? It's believers, okay? Paul is writing the church at Ephesus. These are people who are, as we say here, we want to lead people to find and follow Jesus. These are people who have found Jesus. These people who are saved. They've been made alive, as we're going to see. So he says, you, you believers, this is those of you in the room this morning that have given your life to Christ. You've been made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. You were hopeless, in which once you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That means separated from God, just as others. What Paul is saying here is that like Jonah, we are desperate and hopeless, and there is nothing we can do to get to God. That doesn't sound very encouraging this morning, does it? Now, they call the good news or the gospel the good news. And the truth is, the good news isn't that good of news if you don't hear the bad news first. Just like Jonah, every one of us were born in a hopeless situation. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. There is nothing we can do. Coming to church, giving all your money to the church, showing up even on Sunday morning when it's raining, when you would much rather be sleeping, is not a way to heaven. In other words, you could have slept in. You could still get to heaven. We're dead. Hopeless. But, but let's keep reading. Because verse 4, the, the, everything changes in verse number 4 with two words. What's the first two words of, of verse 4? But God. Can we say that again? What's the two words in verse number four? What does it start with? But God. When God enters the situation, something that's hopeless, it changes everything, doesn't it? But God who is rich in mercy. Remember what we said? God is a merciful and missional God. God is rich in his mercy because, why, why is he rich in mercy? Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. You've been raised up together and made us sit together. Verse number 8. Let's skip to verse number 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Paul is saying we're spiritually dead, spiritually disobedient, spiritually doomed. We are in a hopeless situation, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his love toward us, has made a way for us to be rescued because salvation is of the Lord. This morning, if you're in the room today and you've never been rescued by God, This is the good news. You're here so you can be rescued. 
God is sovereign, as we said, and God is missional, and God has brought you here in his mercy so that you could hear how to be rescued. I was rescued when I was 17 years old at Brownwood. It was actually called the Heart of Texas Baptist Encampment. I don't know how they couldn't have thought of a longer name. Brownwood, Texas. And I cried out to God from a hopeless situation. You know what God did? He heard my cry. And he rescued me. And maybe today you need to be rescued. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you have not been rescued. If you would like to be rescued, place your faith in Jesus. In fact, I want to ask everyone just for a moment. We're not done, but I'll, I want you to close your eyes just for a moment. I don't want anyone to feel intimidated about making a decision. So this morning, if this morning you would admit to me, and just so I can pray for you, you would admit this morning, you know, John, I, I've never been rescued. I've never placed my faith in Jesus. If that's you this morning, right where you're at, would you just raise your hand up for a second? Just put your hand up, wherever, wherever you might be seated this morning. Just put it up. Right now, just put your hand up. I've, I, I've never been rescued. Here's what I want you to do. If you want to be rescued right now, then you just pray. What you need to pray is that admitting to God you're a sinner, believing that Jesus died for you, calling out to God to be your Savior. And it may go something like this. God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died for me. I confess Jesus is Lord. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to save me. Here's the great news. If you prayed that prayer, you, you talked to God about it, you've just been rescued. Isn't that good? You've just been rescued. All right, you guys can look up this morning. Let's continue on. Verse, the, point number three, all right? Number one, Jonah was hopeless. Number two, God rescues. Number three, Jonah, and this may be controversial, Jonah doesn't repent. This is alarming. We, we read what happened in the scriptures. And what we never read in the scripture is that Jonah repented. He thanked God for deliverance. He cried out in his affliction. But he never repented. Let me read this for you. This is from Josh Smith. He says this, Jonah gives a classic prayer of deliverance. In the prayers of deliverance in the Old Testament, when the person is in the situation, not as a result of their own sin. So we would all agree, Jonah's in this situation because of his sin. God is chasing after him. But when people 
give a prayer of deliverance in the Old Testament, and they, it, they've been delivered from a situation that's not a result of their, it's not their fault. The theme of the prayer is thanksgiving. Rejoicing in the God who saves. That sounds like Jonah's prayer here. He gives thanksgiving. He rejoices in the God who saves. It's, it's a typical song of deliverance or a prayer of deliverance from someone who doesn't need to repent. However, the prayers of deliverance in Scripture from someone who is in a situation as a result of their own, sin is the theme. Their prayer revolves around their sorrow of their sin, their repentance, their acknowledgement of their sin as a result of their sin. That's, that's what you see in Psalm chapter 51. When David admits that he has done wrong, he's crying out for deliverance. And it seems to me that this is missing from Jonah's prayer. Thank you, God. You rescue me. Thank you for salvation. But he never said, I'm sorry. You see, what I call this is the, the spirit of Jonah. You may write this down. The spirit of Jonah. What, what is the spirit of Jonah? What do we see in him? He's rejoicing in the God who saves, but doesn't rejoice in the God who sins. How, how could that apply for us today? What does that look like for us in our world today? What, what that might look like for us, for you, for me, is that I love coming to worship with you as a, as a faith family. I love singing Waymaker. I love raising my hands and surrender and worship to God. Because God rescued me. My assumption is that you come in here and when, when you experience and you worship and you, you, you sing praises out to God, you are doing it for the same reason I'm doing it, because God rescued you. You're probably like me, that when, when you allow yourself to go back and experience the emotions of when God rescued you when I was 17 years old in that old metal bunk, if I allow myself to go there emotionally, it brings back as if I was there in that moment that day. I'm thankful that God rescued me. And if I'm not careful, the spirit of Jonah creeps in that I celebrate how God rescued me, but I do nothing else about anyone else. Thank you, God, for saving me, but all those people in the neighborhood... They're on their own. And, and the truth is, some people don't agree with what I'm telling you about Jonah's repentance. Probably about half and half. Here's what I think. I think Jonah was obedient, but still obstinate. I think Jonah was religious, but rebellious. You know, when I was a kid, my mom oftentimes would say, hey, John, will you take out the trash? You know, and as a 13-year-old kid who loved his parents and loved Jesus, I always said, yes, ma'am. And I ran up, paused the TiVo, you know, we didn't have that. Uh, you know what I started doing a lot, and I'm not proud of this, but it's the truth. She would say, hey, John, would you go take out the trash? No, I'm good. 
I mean, she asked, right? Man, you guys are so judgy. <laughs> you really are. Like this, I could just sense everyone like, oh, that guy, he's that guy. How many of you would have done the same thing? Okay, a few honest people, all right, a few rebellious. I'm, I mean, I'll be honest. I was a very rebellious, hard, stubborn. I mean, when my dad, uh, you know, would break a board over me, deservingly, I would say, huh, it broke. What are you going to do now? I remember vividly what he did next. <laughs> we won't talk about that. <laughs> no, I'm good, mom. And, and suddenly the ask became a command. Right? I'm not asking, take out the trash. And I had a decision to make. Right? Because if I don't take out the trash, when dad comes home, that's not going to be well, right? There's going to be more, bo- more boards broken. I would, usually I would take out the trash. I was obedient, but I was obstinate. I, I walked the trash out to the back of the property line on the barbed wire fence, and I threw it in the 55-gallon drum that we would, you know, eventually burn later. But with everything in me, I was still sitting on the couch watching whatever I was watching. Are you tracking with me? I think that's what Jonah's doing. We'll see it. I I think the only reason Jonah went to Nineveh because he got tired of the fish. So here's the question you need to wrestle with. Is it possible this morning you have the spirit of Jonah? You praise God that he rescued you, but all those other people, they can go to hell. That's what we're saying, right? That's why it is of utmost importance that as a church, we stay outwardly focused. Because that's not the normal thing to do. The normal thing to do is take care of us. It's easy, and it's, it's all over church world where we have the spirit of Jonah, where we, man, we come and we celebrate the goodness of God. But nobody on our street knows about him. Nobody we go to school with knows about him. Nobody at our work knows about him. Oh, but he's so good. He rescued me. So you, you got a little fish. Hopefully you took some notes. And on the back side, what I want you to do, this may be a check of your own heart. Write down who you're praying for currently that needs to be saved. Jesus told the disciples, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, after you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you shall be witnesses In Matthew 28, he says, go therefore and make disciples. These are three directives, not three suggestions. So I wonder in my own life sometimes, can I really be a follower of Jesus if I'm not fishing for men? Because Jesus said, if you follow me, I will, I will what? I will make you fishers of men. 
If we are spending time with the Lord and we truly enjoy the rescue of God in our own life, the natural outcome of that will be, I need to go rescue someone. I need to go fishing for someone. And if you're struggling to come up with a name to write down on your fish, well, you can draw your own conclusions. Maybe this morning what you need to write down on the fish is, God, give me someone to share Jesus with. Give me someone to share Jesus with. Listen, guys, I do not want to have the heart of Jonah. And I don't want you to have a heart of Jonah either. It's too important. There's thousands of people that we could walk to in the next five minutes that don't know Jesus. God has put you in your work, your neighborhood, your school, your activities to fish for men. What I want to do this morning to close out is is I want you, if you're willing to, to just come to the altar this morning and pray. Maybe, maybe the prayer is, God, send me someone that I can share Jesus with. Maybe there are names on your fish this morning that, that you just want to come and pray with. So if that's you, would you just stand up right now and just come? Just come and, and let's pray. Let's ask God to give us the spirit of evangelism, the spirit of Christ, that we would be Every single Sunday morning when you leave out of here, what does Stefan say? Church may be over, but it's now time to go be the church. And let's take that responsibility seriously, that God has commissioned us, that God has called us, that God saves us and he sends us.